the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com.
vengeance. Not, if not physical violence, then gossip and judgment, justification in our own minds. We know this is very true of the world. It's often through drink and drugs to alleviate, if just temporarily, the physical pain and mental anguish. Some may even argue against other believers who are well-meaning and biblically minded to justify their avoidance of total obedience, which they don't even realize is the source of their difficulties. If we're honest, bad theology, liberal ministry, they are easier to follow than what the Bible calls for because there is no cross to bear. That is why we call it seeker-sensitive. You've heard the term, there's a method to the madness, usually in the context of witnessing a plan unfold that doesn't seem to make sense, but the process, the method, is actually intentional. We see this in God's plan for the world. The world is gross. The world is gross. It is wicked, And in God's plan, it's not getting any better, nor will it. And in light of the sovereignty of God, we may question lovingly in a way that honors God, not angrily. Why is this being allowed, Lord? Why is this happening, Lord? And we wonder why He is not here yet. We cry out like the martyrs of Revelation 6, How long, O Lord? O Lord, holy and true. Will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? But we trust that He not only has a plan, but He knows how to put that plan into effect. We know He has a process. And like the seasons that bring produce to the farmer, the process may seem strange and ineffective to us. But in the end, with the farmer, we understand that everything is perfect because it's the plan of God. Though it may be hard to deal with today, though it may be scary to look at the potential darkness of tomorrow, we trust not only that God has a plan, but that He knows exactly what He's doing in the process. So take comfort, my friends. He knows what He's doing, and what's more, He knows how you're doing. He knows that you're suffering. He knows the difficulty. We know from James that He allowed the difficulty. He's using that difficulty. Trust Him. The process is uncomfortable at best, painful at worst, but it is all part of His wonderful, perfect plan for you and for your good. Trust Him. He knows what He's doing. I get it. Sometimes you may think, especially if your trial is brought about by sin, as we'll talk about in coming weeks in James, say, well, God's angry. God's left me. God's forgotten me. No, He hasn't. He hasn't. And with all due respect, I don't care how you feel, if that's how you feel, He has not left you. He is here. How do I get closer to God? Oh, 
you silly, silly person. He gets close to you. He is there. He cares about you more than anyone else ever can or will. Trust the process. Thirdly, the pursuit. The pursuit. The third pillar to stand on in the midst of suffering involves us pursuing something. And that is in the beginning of verse 8. You too, be patient and strengthen your hearts. James repeats the command to be patient, but now adds strength in your hearts. He introduces it with you too. In other words, like the farmer, you too are to be patient. And I call this the pursuit because one can easily assume that patience means doing nothing. You see the picture of you're waiting in a long line and there's a lady in line in front of you and the kids are you know, getting all crazy, wanting to run around. She says, be patient. What is she saying? Do nothing. Stop doing what you're doing. Stop it. And so we can easily think with that picture it just means do nothing. It's just a waiting game. But this wait is hard, and there is a pursuit of the right heart and mind that we must actively engage in. And this is what we pursue. To be patient for the coming of the Lord involves an inherent desire for Him to come. I have never had to tell my children to be patient as they wait for something they do not want. Be patient. The medicine's coming. Hold on. I'll get to the spanking. I'll get to it. Be patient. I know you want it. Never. Never, right? What do I have to tell them to be patient for? Playing. Screens. Going for, leaving for a party, dessert, things they really want. And in this case, we can be challenged by the early church's longing for the Lord's return, which makes complete sense in their situation because they had nothing in this world. They had nothing in complete contrast to the source of their suffering, the wealthy. And the reality is, those of us in this room today are more like the wealthy in this scenario in terms of our possessions on earth. Though we may be righteous and godly and we're not oppressing anyone, the reality is that we are not suffering physical poverty. We are not concerned we will starve to death by the end of the week. We are not people like James's audience who have absolutely nothing on this planet to hold on to. And that's something we need to be aware of. Because for most in the room, we don't have the same sense of despair, which leads to a longing for Christ's return as much as those who have nothing to live for on this earth. We have much in this world. And so the enjoyment and comfort that we experience here can make His return less desired. It's not that we don't want Him to come again. It's not that we don't believe that He is coming again. It's not that we don't understand the beauty of what that entails. But maybe just not yet. Let me have kids first. Let me get married first. Sure, we may cry out for Him to return during serious trials, We may even think about it these days, this month, as we 
walk back, walk by the ever-increasing number of flying pride flags. But really, when is the last time you needed a solid brother or sister in Christ to sit you down and say, calm down, He's coming. I know you really want it, just calm down, trust in Him, be patient. Not patient for the end of a trial. Not patient for the kids to learn and grow up. Not be patient in your desire for some earthly thing like a gift in the mail or a family vacation. But patient for the Lord's return because you want Him to come back so badly. You want it now. You want Him to come back so badly you don't even want me to finish this sermon. Come back, Lord. Come back now. Do you desire the Lord's return? He goes on to give us a clue as to how to wait. He says, strengthen your hearts. Literally, make your hearts stable. Establish them. Set them firmly. But on what? On your faith, especially in the midst of suffering. Think about that. When we say that we have faith, what does that mean? You say, well, I have faith in Him. Well, what about Him do you have faith in? Well, firstly... 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4 summarizes it for us. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That is the foundation of our faith, the Gospel. But secondly, although it is part of what we just read, that Jesus is still alive. Alive and aloof? No. Alive but forgotten us? Never. Alive. Watching, waiting, controlling, and coming again. To put it another way, there's a full consummation of who Jesus is in the context of His redemption plan. He must return, not just for us, but to fix all of this. To deal with Satan and the demons to deal with unbelieving mankind, to deal with the sin-stained physical heavens and earth. And it is by and for these truths that we strengthen our hearts. It is a courage that comes from knowing but also trusting the Lord. How do we do this? It starts with what has been called the heartbeat of the Christian life. Right? The heart beats in twos, right? Ba-bum, ba-bum. Praying, reading God's Word. Praying, reading God's Word. That is the core, the essence. Not just legalistically, not just to do it, because you truly know that you are talking to the Lord and turning to Him, and He is talking to you through His Word. Strengthening your heart also means things like practicing biblical fellowship by praying for others and being prayed for, getting into people's lives for sharpening and rebuking, both as the giver and the recipient. Jesus, knowing that one of his closest friends, Peter, was going to deny him, said this in Luke 22, verses 31 and 32. Simon, Simon, that was Peter's other name, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And you, listen to this, you, Peter, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. 
Jesus says, I know you're going to deny me, but then when you repent from that, strengthen others. And in speaking of the call to Christianity, later Peter then says in 2 Peter 1.12, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, Christians, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. You're established in the truth, you know it, but I'm going to keep reminding you of it, says Peter, to strengthen you, to establish you more. This means that the strengthening of our hearts involves speaking truth to one another, but also going to church to let someone like me speak truth to you, to remind you of what you have already been established in. You can also strengthen your heart by turning to God first. Some of you who come to me for counsel know that one of the first questions I'll ask is, have you prayed about it first? Go to the perfect before you come to the imperfect. Because frankly, I'm just going to give you the words of the perfect. So why not go to the source? Turn to God first before man, government, therapists, even yourself, even your pastor. We saw this principle played out even in your own planning. Remember this at the end of James 4. Turn to God first before you trust in your own plans. Go to such and such a city. Listen to Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. You say, but surely that's just average man, normal man. Then he goes on in verse 9. This is Psalm 118. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes than even the most powerful of men. To acknowledge and believe that whatever plans you make will only happen if God wills it. So turn to Him. Trust in Him. Now whether you are in a direct and specific trial or not, all believers are to be patient for the Lord's return and while waiting we are to strengthen our hearts to be patient, to develop this mindset, this heart attitude. But then at the end of verse 8 in James 5, He tells us what He has basing this entire exhortation on. Everything we've looked at this morning, he's basing on the end of verse 8, and the promise is that the Lord's return is near. That's the promise, pillar number four. We've seen the plan, the process, the pursuit, and now the promise. For the coming of the Lord is near. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Be patient, for the coming of the Lord is near. I've entitled this sermon, Pillars of Promise, because a promise is what this whole passage centers around. And James now ends the very way that he began with the coming of the Lord. He began with the Lord's return as an object of patient endurance, Now he ends with the Lord's return as a promise and specifically that it is near. Near literally meaning drawing near, approaching, coming close. The Lord's return is imminent. And it is in this promise that everything else we've talked about this morning makes sense and is made possible. Now I want to take a moment to talk about the proverbial elephant in the room in this passage. They say that hindsight is 2020. 
as we read this letter, we know that it was originally written and read to a specific group of believers that lived 2,000 years ago when Christ has not returned. James encouraged them to be patient because the Lord's return is near to them in their lifetimes. And we know it has not happened yet, which it means obviously it didn't happen in their lifetime either. Now, James didn't know this. He didn't know the Lord wouldn't return in his lifetime. He surely hoped he would, but he didn't know. But God did. And he ultimately is the author of this letter. He was telling his children to be patient and endure because the Lord is coming soon, knowing full well that it would not be in their lifetime. And yet, these people who are suffering on an hour-to-hour basis could easily assume, oh, he means like in a few months from now. You could see how this would be even more logically uh, come to because they're like, well, Jesus just left. And so it would make sense that he comes within the same generation, comes back, right? But he hasn't come. And he says the Lord is near. And this is not the only place that it says that. It's like telling a, a man on the streets who is hungry and cold, starving, hang in there. I know it's tough, but be patient. Oh, he thinks, because you're going to go buy him some food and a blanket. No, be patient. Because I know that your great, 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 great grandkids will have good jobs and will never be hungry or cold. How does that help him? Or telling a terminally ill patient, hold on, just hold on, don't give up. Because there's going to be a cure in 600 years. How does that help them? When we engage in patience in the midst of suffering while waiting for the Lord to return, this is so important. It is more than just patience we would exhibit in waiting for, for, for example, a, a vacation that's a few months away. Because what do we do in that situation? Some of you are in that situation right now. You want it so bad that you try to keep your mind off of it, right? Like, I'm going to go crazy. This is not till August. I'm going to go crazy if I keep thinking about it. You just focus on work, keep busy. In other words, you try not to think about it at all. But then there's another tactic that some people use to wait for that vacation, and I think it's more common these days with the invention of the Internet. They have a postcard of that very beach that they're going to with the palm trees swaying, stuck on their computer monitor at work. And in their free time, they research about things to do at that vacation destination. In other words, they plan ahead and they keep it in the forefront of their minds because it keeps them sane today. It'll help them get through the difficulties of the long work weeks and the challenges of their workplace and life. When we patiently wait for the Lord's return, it doesn't mean forget about it and keep busy. It's talking about your attitude right now, knowing full well 
you may not experience in your physical lifetime his return. It means study the word. It means get to know the Lord better. It means pray. It means anticipate. In other words, let his imminent return motivate you in this life. But unlike the separation between work and vocation, the anticipation for the second coming is to be integrated into your work and life and family. It's not something we look forward to to help us get through life. It is something that dictates how we get through life. Remember, James is talking to people who are fighting to survive. They have barely enough to eat. They are exploited. They are abused. They are hurting. He's not telling them to just grin and bear it because Jesus is coming. He's telling them to deal with it in a way that glorifies God because Jesus is alive and coming again. And, and isn't this the key for the Christian life? Our number one priority is that we glorify God in our own lives. That's your number one priority. As a pastor, that's my number one priority. As a dad, that's my number one priority. Not my kid's salvation, not their spiritual growth, my spiritual growth. What good does it do any of you or any of my children if I'm only focused on you? Right? That's your number one priority. But what does that mean? Well, everything, right? Loving God, honoring God, obeying God, having the right mindset. And part of that right right mindset is hating your own sin. And as you do that, as you grow, in your understanding of your own spiritual growth, it will click as you mature as a believer, as it has for most, if not all of you, that it's not just about me glorifying God in my life, it's about glorifying God, period. It's about God's glory, period. So not just that I'm okay, but then also that my kids are okay, that my congregation is okay, that my brother and sister in Christ, my spouse, is okay. I almost said spouse is. That would have been weird, huh? That your spouse is okay, and then that goes, and then you become, I don't judge the world, I have compassion for them, and you want them to be okay. Not to feel happy, not to just avoid sin, but to come to saving knowledge of Christ and then avoid sin because of that. And then you look at our lives and it spreads and it spreads and it spreads and you look at the world and you say, I want the Lord to come again. I want the Lord to come again to fix this because it's broken. It's broken. And so we live in a way so that we will do what we can following Christ, to honor Him through our lives, through our families, through our church, but then through our relationships with the unbelieving world. Let me put it this way. The key to this patient, patience rather, is not about how long you have to wait. The key again is about how you wait. How you wait. Four pillars to stand on in the midst of suffering, God's plan, the process in that plan, the pursuit, patience, strength in your hearts, and the promise. The Lord's coming is near. 
How near? I don't know. But nearer right now than when we began this morning. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too, be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to know the Savior and to know that our Savior is alive and well and is coming again. Father, as we are warned in Scripture, may we not be so focused on times and dates and whether the stars align, but to be focused on glorifying you, focused on repentance, focused on having a right heart. Father, may we live in a way that desires your glory so much that we hate sin, not the sinner, but the sin, that we see and have compassion on the world around us that we focus on our hearts, that we might honor you in everything and pull in everything that we've looked at over the past few weeks regarding the world and all it has to offer, making plans in a biblical way. I pray, Father, that we would long for your return so much that we need to be reminded to be patient about it and to live in light of that return and with a patience that honors you. Help us to see and rely on you for vengeance and help us not to be concerned about avenging but on compassion and evangelism and living in light of your truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.